since uh, the late 17th century uh, that is about to lose uh, Pilgrim's Progress. You know, maybe in your family Pilgrim's Progress is read, but uh, every year at seminary I have, uh, I have a little straw poll ask classes. How many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress? And I, I'm just dismayed and appalled. Um, so, uh, Christian Focus have a wonderful edition of Pilgrim's Progress. They also have a fine edition of uh, Holy War. They have a children's edition uh, of Pilgrim's Progress. But tonight uh, I have a great commission publication. Uh, this is this is new. Uh, it's uh, maybe a couple months uh, off the press. This is a children's uh, abridged. This is not a complete Pilgrim's Progress. This is this is. This is a concession to our times uh, to, uh, to reintroduce Pilgrim's Progress to our children, and this is designed for children ages 6 through 12. Uh, it's worth getting just for the map. You know, but the map is wonderful. Uh, there's also a CD uh, that I think was done mainly by John Lincoln, uh, Ligon's brother. Maybe Mel has a voice in there too. Maybe Ligon has a voice in there. But I know that John and Mel, principally John Duncan. Uh, but the CD is something uh, that you can play in the car on a, on a road trip uh, instead, of, instead of counting, you know, roadkill. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can listen the umpteenth time to uh, John Duncan's rendition of the abridgment of Pilgrim's Progress, but uh, do stop by the group, uh, great commissions, uh, commission publications, the new, the new children's edition of Pilgrim's uh, Progress. Uh, thank you, uh, thank you for having me back again. Uh, apologies for last year. Uh, I don't remember the details, but something went wrong on my calendar, and I was unable to be uh, to be with you. to my esteemed friend and, and colleague, uh, Doug Kelly, for swapping evenings with me this year. Uh, I have an engagement that I have to get back to, but um, I'm, I'm just dipping into his second volume uh, of uh, Christology uh, that you were given a free copy of uh, today, and uh, there will be a quiz. <laughs> So we, we, we know where you live, we have your addresses, your email addresses, uh, and we'll be, we'll be sending you a little quiz uh, on the final points of Christology. Uh, this, is, uh, this is probably uh, Dr. Kelly's finest work. Uh, this is the pinnacle of a lifetime study uh, that has been something, uh, something of a total force uh, for him. Uh, delighted. Uh, to think that all of us have a pre-copy uh, of this magnificent uh, Well, let's pray together. Father, we, we bow now again in your presence. We dare approach you through the mediation of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, ascended to your right hand in glory. 
pouring forth the Holy Spirit. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would come now in flames of fire to illuminate the pages of Scripture. We are dull of mind and affections. Our hearts are slow to respond. We read but often do not understand. We read but a veil across our minds and hearts and affections. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would remove that veil and pour light upon the written page and bring that truth to light and life and vitality. We ask it all for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Now turn with me to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. I in a little bit of a quandary to know quite what to uh, what to study uh, and, and bring to this uh, conference. Uh, but I want to look in particular at verses 12 and 13 of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. But I'm going to begin to read at verse 1 of chapter 2. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Who is? 
to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Oh, 
we don't do. You all think without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Are we, are we changing? I'm just so Now you expect me to pick up from Thomas. Shall I start again? <laughs> Great commission. <laughs> I thought I was being a little, um, a little edgy and a little abrasive, and, and you weren't, you weren't following, <laughs> but you, you simply couldn't hear me. <laughs> Well, there are all sorts of issues here. Imperatives. Have this mind in you. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. We are adrift. We are adrift. Uh, forget the liberals and the Bartians and, 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 and the others. We are. We, we, we don't know what to do with imperatives. Because the Bible is full of imperatives. Two things here. He talks in the first place, 
there in verse 6, to be in the form of God, in the morphe, in the form of God. Older commentators and, and linguistic experts tended to see in this word morphe something, something of this nature, that, that however it is you define deity, whatever, 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 whatever you do to define the nature of deity, the nature of God, Jesus Christ had all of that, all the, all the divine attributes. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Jesus has all of that. More modern commentators, linguistic experts tend to think that Paul is borrowing from the language of the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and alluding in particular to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and to the words image and likeness and glory. Jesus is the express image, the express icon of God. He is the glory of God. But whatever it is, and from wherever Paul is borrowing here, he is making a categorical assertion as to the absolute, unqualified deity of Jesus Christ. He was in the form of God, and then, and then he adds, he didn't think, he didn't think that he, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. At least that's the ESV rendition of it. To differ with the ESV, it is not so much. Jesus laying hold of deity so much as holding on to deity, that may be the idea here, but, but verse 7, but emptied himself. If you, have the, if you have an ESV that's prior to 2011, that's not what you've got. Right? If you've got an older version of the ESV, you've got he made himself nothing. Right? That's the ESV being hoisted on its own petard, having, having sung a song in, in declaration of the NIV's tendency towards dynamic equivalence. The ESV used its own dynamic equivalence. And instead of translating the word as it actually is, which it now does in 2011, and subsequent editions of the ESV, you realize the ESV constantly evolving, constantly changing. You've got to, you've got to download those upgrades to be cutting edge here. He was in the form of God. It's a statement about the pre-existence of Jesus. He was in the form of God. He didn't, he didn't he didn't, well, let me take the ESV rendition, he didn't think that deity, that Godhead, was something that he needed to reach out and grasp, because it was already his. But he emptied himself. He became incarnate. He took the form of a servant. He was, he was in the form of God, Montreal. He was, he was in the form of a servant, Montreal. He took the form of a servant, the form of a slave. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. 
In the beginning was the Word, the Lord. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So you go from pre existence to Christmas, you go from pre existence to Bethlehem, you go from pre existence to incarnation. He took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point, right up to the point of death. Paul is, uh, is advocating here a view of the work of Christ in terms of his obedience, the category of obedience. I remember, oh, back in the 70s, somewhere, 4, when I first read uh, John Murray's Redemption and Accomplishment of Life. And uh, seeing there uh, the category of obedience, now let me leave you up here. I could leave I'm walking I'm walking up um, Gervais Street in Columbia. Gervais, but I recognize it Gervais. I'm walking with Sinclair Ferguson. And I thought, you know, I'm gonna ask him. You know, what are the what are the moments in your life that you would regard Theologically, as life changing. That was my question. We just had lunch. We were walking the street. And I said, uh, you know, what, what are those moments in your life? Uh, um, you mentioned reading John Murray's um, treatment of the category of obedience in the atonement. And he said it was a life changing moment. And he viewed he viewed Jesus in a different way. And, and, and not just in a punctilial way of, of Jesus' obedience in dying, but his obedience right up to the point of death, that his entire life was an act of obedience, that he had come to do his Father's will. And you see him wrestling with that category in Gethsemane, not, not my will, but thine be done. As, uh, as the universe itself trembled in the center. When Jesus asks his father, is there not some other way? And then it moves in verse 9 from pre-existence to incarnation in verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted I bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, and, and it's not the name Jesus here, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Who oh, is? The Septuagint translation of Yahweh. Or Jehovah, that's where you still are. <laughs> Ask Dr. Kelly, he's got an answer. But Jesus Christ 
is Yahweh. Jesus Christ is Jehovah. Jesus Christ is the only God there is. There is more than one who is that one God, but Jesus Christ is the only God there is. And the staggering nature that these are Jews, rigid monotheists, and the same about Jesus. He's Yahweh. He's, he's the Lord. So, you know, that deserves a three-hour exposition, and I don't attend that, but that's the context here. Therefore, my beloved, work out your own salvation. In, in, in the midst of that profound Christological statement as to the identity of Jesus Christ, but what does he do with that theological maxim? Well, he tells us in verse, uh, in verse 5, have this mind among yourself. He wants you and I to have a mindset. He takes this massive Christological truth and he applies it morally and ethically. <coughs> He wants us to have a servant heart, a servant mindset. <clears throat> so work out your salvation, not, not, not work for your salvation. All doesn't say that. Legalism is a problem. It's a massive problem, legalism. We're hardwired for legalism. It's an Adamic gene <coughs> that only the Holy Spirit can recall it. The tendency within us, and it remains within us, to think that we can do something to, to inherit our Father's love, to earn our Father's love. Legalism is a problem. I don't know about your church, but um, we had CE-ism uh, <coughs> yesterday. Christmas and Easter. There were people I've never seen before. Some of them trying to be members of the church. <laughs> it was Easter, so they came out wide for one John Owen says Anyone who thinks that holiness is attained from a self strength carried on by ways of self invention unto the end of a self righteousness is the soul and substance of all false religion in the world. Legalism is a problem. That we can uh, that we do a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Pray a little more. Read the Bible a little more. Go to church a little more. Have a little more enthusiasm. 
a little more effort, saying a little lighter, reach at least three people instead of two. Be nice to that that honorary person. And God will love us. We do this as a problem. Because we are hardwired to just to self-justification. Oh, think of the do's and notes in some of our churches. That have absolutely nothing to do with scripture whatsoever. We have a I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out the laundry. <laughs> <laughs> the Americans don't hang out the laundry. But from where I work, we, we hang out the laundry. We're all just in the smalls, as my mother called them. <laughs> <laughs> not so small these days. <laughs> We have a thing about candlesticks. Oh, don't you know It's a wedding. Laws. People get feisty. People take signs. They line up over candles. <laughs> We're not about to become popish or Romish folks. I mean, I'm very impressed, but that's not, this is not the issue. This is all about weddings. This is the tendency, this is an example of uh, rules. And, and it has to be done this way, or it's not right. We are hard wired to be legalistic. All this is suggesting here for one single Absolutely perfect. Not 
کیونکہ
But the two, the two sentences you to confuse. When I say I'm justified by faith, I mean by faith alone, apart from the works of the law. But I'm not sanctified by faith alone, apart from the works of the law. This is a doing word. I know we've discovered definitive sanctification or positional sanctification, which acts very much like justification. It's a legal forensic category. It's a declaration by God regarding our status that we are saints, that we are the holy ones, that we are set apart. To those who are in Corinth, saints, holy ones, that's what we are. Called to be holy, or perhaps the holy called ones, that's what we are. But there's progressive sanctification. And there are doing verbs, and working verbs. Uh, Paul is saying salvation by human effort. And yet he is saying that human effort is involved here. In our union and communion with Jesus Christ, in our new natures, in our, in our definitively sanctified status, we work. We work out and we work out with fear and trembling, spirit-filled, gospel-driven effort. 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 Hard-gained effort. Sweaty effort. Effort that, 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 that makes your muscles ache. As we work out our salvation, the consequences of what God has done in us. Think of uh, Calvin. You can do worse with Calvin. Think of the Institutes. Think of Book 3. Think of the shape of contours of Mortification, vivification, meditation on the future life. That's it. Mortification. Kill sin before it kills you. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. Cut off your right arm. Pluck out your right eye. That's not passive. There's a, there's a form of sanctification. There's a, there's a form of 
an approach to the Christian life, and it's, and it's like quietism. It's like, it's like I do nothing, I just rest. It, it's entirely passive. I, I don't engage at all. I just rest. I just, I just realize my justification, and sin will take care of itself.
You can point the person to Christ. Yes. You can preach the gospel. Yes. Okay. And go there. And Paul is saying to me, this ungodly preacher. Take heed unto yourself. Preach it to yourself. This text is for you. I discipline my body and keep it under control. Paul says. It's, it's futuristic. Boxing. Boxing language he's using. Discipline, body. Some of you do the most horrendous things. You go to a gym. And I'm, I'm, I hate gyms. I don't like anything like them. I don't like the smell of them. I don't like to be in the presence of men who are undressed. <laughs> it doesn't appeal to me at all. <laughs> I, I may be counseling on this issue. <laughs> you, you work at it in the morning. You, 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 you pump iron. You, you sweat. <laughs> For what? Also, I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself might be a castaway. Was it? Luke 9, 27. There's a man who stood in here. He led worship in here. And he's in here. zeal about the gospel and about to make some of the form of faith. The contours and the shape of the order synthesis. But as far as we can tell, they're heading straight to hell. What about your own salvation? This is not, uh, you know, sometimes I listen to approaches to sanctification and it sounds like Buddhism. You know, shut your eyes and hum. <coughs> and walk over. Just, just, just think about who you are and all the way. But there's a second thing. As if that wasn't enough. For it is God who works in you, with the will and to do his good pleasure. Now let's, uh, let's move a little bit quicker. Paul is saying here that God used to work in you, but He works in you no longer. He worked in you as far as your justification is concerned, and as far as your positional sanctification is concerned, and, the heart, and, and as far as your definitive sanctification is concerned. But progressive sanctification and perseverance is entirely up to you. 
God did that part. Now you do this. That's not what you see. You put the money. You work out. Sweaty, gospel-centered, Christ-focused effort.
Please to convert the heathen. He'll do it without your help or mine. Now, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. The beautiful anonymous hymn, I sought the Lord and afterwards I knew. He moved my soul to seek Him, seeking me. It was not I that found no sacred truth, no, I was found of Him. Now, you can call this antinomy if you're in the 1950s. I don't mind her as a lengthy article against use of that word. <laughs> That's You can uh, you can use the language uh, concurrence if you're stuck in the 1980s. It would be really trendy. You can use the word compatibles. Your effort, God's effort. You work, God works. It's your doing, it's God's doing. It's your responsibility, and God does it. And it's compatible. I've no idea what that means. I've read gazillions of stuff about this thing, and I'm still, I'm still lost. I just know that it's true. That in every exertion of our effort, God, by His sovereign, powerful, creative, and recreative Spirit, is at work in us, working out His plan, working out His purpose, working out His good pleasure, bringing to pass the plan of redemption. Bringing us into the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness will dwell. So, my dear friends, there's a lot here. I think I probably offended everyone. Hopefully, equally. I find this verse an enormous challenge to much of current muddled thinking about sanctification and perseverance and the role of human effort. Sanctified effort. Spirit-filled, gospel-driven effort. Effort in union with Christ, in union with the resurrected Christ. But effort, nevertheless. This is not passive. It's not quietest. It's not a let go of your heart. It's sweaty. This is sweaty sanctification. I don't think that's important. <laughs> Father, we thank you for this incredible word. It uh, challenges us again and again because when we think we understood something.